If you stay open and if you understand that the value of developing yourself is that whatever you grow and learn breakthroughs in yourself, no one can ever take that away from you. It's yours now. It's like part of your richness that you get to carry forward. So whether it happens in the back of your Chevy or in the freaking weird office building by the airport, you know, what matters is that it happened. And hello and welcome to Here in L.A. Atwater Village Edition. Today, we sit down with Heidi Bach, an entrepreneur who co-founded a jewelry store in Atwater Village. She's also a business exec across town, a world traveler, a landlord, and a scuba diver. And we didn't get into this enough, but a genius interior and exterior designer. In Bachelors, this Lady Libra is single. So let's get to know Heidi Bach. I am here with Heidi Bach. Hello. <laughs> is that how you say your, your, your last yes, name? Yes. My real last name is Lina Bach, but I just shortened it to Bach recently on the internets. How would you, uh, if somebody sees you on the street, Heidi Bach? Heidi Lina Bach? I usually just give people my first name. I don't think I'm that important. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> but I need to do a whole full name thing. I'm just like, hey, I'm Heidi. Like, Well, Heidi. Heidi like Klum, the model. That's how humble I am. <laughs> And Catherine Bach, like uh, Daisy Dukes. See? Okay. I didn't know that reference, though. Because you you're young. Put, yeah, not really. You're young and you own a beautiful house in Atwater. Thank you. Yes. I mean, you hesitated. This is a beautiful house. It is. It's actually a duplex. And it's a beautiful duplex. Are you renting out the other side? I am. So not only are you beautiful... But you're so smart. <laughs> I've made some good decisions. Yes. That's a great decision. <laughs> Was it hard to get your tenant? It's never hard to get a tenant in Atwater. People want to live here. Everyone wants to live here. Maybe not everyone, but there's a lot of people that want to live here. So I've never had trouble with that. What's the big selling point of Atwater? You know, for me... When I was looking for places to buy, I wanted something walkable. I wanted the kind of place where on a weekend, I wouldn't have to get in my car at all if I didn't want to. And this neighborhood offers that. Plus, I think I have like all these big old trees lining my street. Who doesn't love that? Mm -hmm. um, the accessibility of this neighborhood is amazing in terms of like, you can get to the five, the 110, the two, the 134, the 10. And this is so L.A. that I'm just listing a bunch of numbers. But anyone from here knows what I'm saying. It's just like if it's a down traffic time, I can literally get anywhere in 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, if it's heavy traffic, I've got 20 different options of how I can get to wherever I want to go. So Waze is your friend. <laughs> but yeah. And then we're right by Griffith Park and Silver Lake. So I like the outdoors experience in L.A. And. Aside from the beach, I think this is the next best thing where I can get more space for my money and easy access to more parts of the city. So it works for me. And beautiful views of the mountain. When did you first move to Atwater? 2012. End of 2012. So you've been here 10 years. Yes. So your renters, are they protected by um, rent control? Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So they may never leave. They may never leave. I don't know. They probably will leave because I'm going to build an ADU um, and an additional dwelling unit in the back. Um, the city recently changed a lot of their rules in an effort to solve our housing crisis. 
Um, I think they rightfully realize that there are middle class people in the city who own duplexes and triplexes and even sometimes fourplexes where they could realistically build more housing on that lot, but it's not zoned for it. So I think they just passed some things to kind of make it easier to get approvals to do that. Previously to that, I had looked into converting my garage into like a studio or something like that, but I wasn't allowed because this is a duplex and therefore multifamily already. So I would have had to like rezone as a triplex. And blah, 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 blah. It was too many hurdles for me. And so I abandoned the idea. But the reality is this area is in demand. For sure. People want apartments and studios. They don't always want to be living in some big freaking luxury high rise apartment building. They want a space with a little bit of a yard and mm -hmm. some of the things that just make people feel at home. And I think people like myself with duplexes and triplexes can offer that. So I'm taking advantage of the, the window of opportunity in the city. You're going to turn a profit on where you live. I already have <gasps> a healthy one. That's the American dream. Yeah. And I live rent free. Where did you grow up? Idaho. Idaho. Mm -hmm. When did you move to LA? In 2004. What brought you here? Oh, well, I was living on Maui. Um, wait, 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 I'm sorry, where? Maui. I moved to Maui after college. You went to college in Idaho? Mm hmm. Boise State. The Boise State. Broncos. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you the study? ones with the Smurf turf, the blue turf. The, the, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's my team right Did there. Did they have that when you were in school there? Absolutely. Legendary. Why? Why is it blue? To intimidate their opponents. Um, it is kind of freaky. confuse the ducks. I'm not sure, but it seems to work. The team has a good record. I was raised super conservative in a Christian family, like where church was also school like a little house on the prairie almost, but a little bigger Oh, and in the nineties. Um, but so were you forced to dress conservatively then? Oh yeah. We had uniforms. My mom had to sew them. You would like go to the, to the, you know, a fabric store and pick out fabrics. Cause um, they didn't sell these uniforms at Sears or whatever. No, they required you to make them. They were so ugly. No that one was part would of ever the deal. sell these things. They were like these ugly little jumpers and up, you had to up wear to the them. neck. You had to wear like a polo shirt or a Peter Pan collar shirt underneath, not even t-shirts. Although in my time, I negotiated new um, uniforms for the girls. Um, <laughs> I was like, first of all, pants are more modest than skirts any day. And if you're claiming that the purpose of this is for us to be able to be dressed well, to study and take breaks and play, which, which helps our study, then we should be allowed to wear pants just like men so that we can be comfortable and modest. And I did eventually win that case for the girls of that school. And, and you're Just so you know, I did that, you're welcome. And you're absolutely right though. <laughs> I know, thought it What's was ridiculous. What's up with the skirt stuff? Just, sorry, but I'm just gonna, it's just traditional conservative Christian people who have a certain type of programming that they're trying to inflict upon women versus men and wearing dresses and differentiating yourselves and forcing you to behave in a certain way that is more, you know, maybe ladylike or whatever, so that you're being groomed for wifehood, which is your main purpose in life. 
Well, maybe the main <clears throat> is momhood. Yes. I think I have to be careful here because Don't I've be gotten into some things with my mom about this before. She oh. gets kind of defensive, I think. She thinks that I think there's something wrong with that course of life. And I do not. I have zero problem with that. There are some women who just really want to be a wife and a mother and they want to fulfill their life purpose that way and just pour all their love into little humans. And I'm here for it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. I want those girls as my friends because they will bring cupcakes to my birthday. Like they are the best. <laughs> I am not mad at it. The world does want them and need them. But it's not the only thing that women can bring. And my perception of it was that the church and the educational system that I was raised in viewed me through that lens, that that was my main value, my main purpose, and in doing so overlooked some of my other skills and talents. And, you know, at one point I was like resentful, like somebody should have helped me apply for real colleges or told me that this stinking private school wasn't accredited and I would need to get a GED anyway. So I would have gone ahead and transferred to public school and played on a real volleyball team and blah, blah, blah. But no one did that stuff and i took a landmark for him just like everybody else in la <laughs> right and during landmark i was like i just need to own this and own responsibility for it and not worry about blaming anybody and let that go and embrace what my life is you pointed so. at me because <clears throat> i feel like this is a show about angelinos for angelinos and i just think landmark forum is so la right i mean they're bigger than la but there's a book about los angeles that talks about life spring at the beginning hmm. And I had to stop it because I was like, you're tearing this apart. Yeah. And, and you can't really you can't really explain these courses unless you're in it. You know what I think it is, is they use a form of network marketing that can be repulsive. Yes. And they push that part so hard that sometimes I think it undermines the yes. real positive effects that they're having on people. Absolutely. For myself, when I took it, I had just been involved in an MLM company, a multi-level marketing company, um, and kind of was over it. And so I just told, I think I went through the first one, it wasn't pushed as hard, and you get to bring people to the last night, and it's a whole part of it, but it's not as heavy pressure. Yeah. The second level is when they really ratchet the pressure, pressure up, and it's almost like, this is how you prove that you're committed to this change in your life. Yes. If you and you call 10 people tonight after your 12 hour fucking course right. and you tell them that they need to sign up and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I just told them early on, like, look, I've got my own stories around this stuff and I get that, but I just came out of LM MLM and I'm just not going to do that part. It has nothing to do with my commitment to this program or right. to myself. In fact, it has everything to do with my commitment to myself that I know you can't force me to do that. I paid my price. I'm here for myself. If I choose to share it with someone, I will. And that will be my call when I want to do it. So you guys say what you need to say, but I'm not going to do it. And I'm not going to be pressured. How old were you when you were doing this? I was probably 27 or 26 when I went through that program. If you want to, mm -hmm. what was your biggest breakthrough? I think the purpose of that thing is really identifying some of your like limiting beliefs or things that you're letting block yourself and just pounding them down and breaking them down to a point where you realize that you assigned that meaning to it. You called it that and made it that and you can call it something else too. 
So kind of like you said, for better or worse, this you do have a certain amount of power over the perception that you're choosing of any given situation in your life. And in many ways, it's the only power you do have in life because you really can't control shit, which we all just learned. Thank you, COVID. Um, you know, you can't control all of the outcomes as much yeah. as you may try or as much effort as you put in or as good of a person as you are. There's no guarantee that the world or the universe or other humans will respond to you in kind. That's right. Um, I believe in karma. I believe in you get what you, you reap what you sow, all that stuff. But it's not always a tit for tat exchange like that, you know? It's not always like right on this even math formula. And so I think just learning that I have the power to assign whatever meaning I want to what happens in my life and that I can choose a perspective that's more empowering for myself. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's not alternative facts because you can't change the facts of what happened but I think you kind of get some tools for actually separating what actually happened from the story that I made up about what happened and actually right now we have this book on my table by Brene Brown I haven't read that one yet Atlas of the Heart you've got two of her books on your I table. do one I read one I got at South by Southwest just recently where I saw her speak last year this year I just was you there. were just in Austin yes wounds from my scooter accident <laughs> anytime um people talk about the breakthroughs they had at these types of places the critics will always say well well that was easy you could have gotten that anywhere it was like yeah could have gotten it anywhere didn't for some reason i ended up at that place at that time and i got it there and i i will always honor the process. I will always honor wherever it was where I found some sort of enlightenment. And I'm not going to diss the mountaintop if I get it there, or the rock club when I get it there, or the backseat of a Chevy when I get it there. And you've probably gotten in all of those places. Uh, fuck yeah. <laughs> That's my feeling, you know? And so if you stay open and if you understand that the value of developing yourself is that whatever you grow and learn breakthroughs in yourself, no one can ever take that away from you. It's yours now. It's like part of your richness that you yes. get to carry forward. So whether it happens in the back of your Chevy or in a freaking weird office building by the airport, you know, what matters is that it happened. And but but let me ask you this. OK. Don't you think it's more likely to happen at that hotel? Because everybody in that room is committed to something different happening for all of these people in that room. Yeah, I think intentionality and openness to that possibility is always going to make it more likely to happen. Similarly, though, like I took a trip to Argentina. I brought the book Conversations with God with me on this trip because a friend was like, I think you need to read this book. And I was like, fuck it. I'm going to have three weeks by myself in Argentina. Maybe I'll read a book. I didn't read it the first two weeks. I got down to El Calafate in the Patagonia, like glacier world. Again, you're pointing at me like I even know any of this. Just because it's so random of a place. Like oh, who's been there to El Calafate? <laughs> it's like the weirdest little town. I don't know how I ended up there. All this random stuff comes together and I'm reading this book and I had one of the greatest spiritual epiphanies of my life. Really? Sitting at a little table outside in freezing cold weather watching two people like taking care of a stray dog. And that moment seared into my memory for life now, you know? 
a book helped me in a beautiful epic location and again and an intentionality to go and work on myself there you go and listen and be open but your intention of getting this reading this book yeah wasn't just to turn the pages no of course not you 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 wanted something cool to happen yeah otherwise you would have just watched netflix i think there's times in our lives when we're more ready or open to transformation than others you know circumstances or even age frames you know they call it the quarter life crisis for me i was probably around my quarter life crisis when i did the first when i did landmark mm. you know so yeah i think there's just times when you're kind of more thirsty for that and then other times where you're sort of like i'm good right now and <laughs> it doesn't mean that you're not open or that change can't happen it's just that like you might not be putting yourself in those positions at that time i think in the best scenario be it landmark, live spring, whatever it is, church. Mm-hmm. Magic can happen at those yeah, places. Yeah. But if there's one guy who's on his phone, not in there, he can kind of screw it up. So let him let him go do his thing. And the people who are there ready to rock are going to rock. Let me ask you about traveling alone as a beautiful young lady. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> if I was your dad, I'd be so afraid. Are you afraid when you travel alone to these totally exotic places? You know, first off, my mom and dad are different. They raised us under the philosophy of wanting us to be independent human beings. That's what they thought their job was. Um, I think that's what was the popular parenting theory at the time um and so i actually traveled without my family internationally for the first time at 13. Wow. yeah i went on a missions trip to el salvador because i had mentioned i was raised in the church and i remember i found a pnl statement for the church my dad was an elder <laughs> and did you know what it meant at 13. i don't know pnls have just always i've always understood them for some reason mm. it was very simple all the costs profit and loss yeah profit and loss statement. It's just a spreadsheet that has names of things and dollar amounts and you see what money is being spent on what. And I looked at it and everything was the building, which didn't surprise me because I went to school there and they were always raising money for the carpet or whatever things. And maybe they really needed it. It is what it is. I don't know. But I just didn't see anything on there for the poor or the elderly, which is what I remember reading in my Bible that Jesus said we were supposed to do. And so I asked my daddy, and I was like, how come there's nothing on this? Like, if this is all the money that's being spent, how come none is being spent on the poor or the elderly? What do we do for that? And he kind of, you know, I think honored my question and probably addressed it in some way that I don't recall, though it did not satisfy me clearly, because then I was like, well, that's what we're supposed to be doing. So I want to figure out how I how I do that. And I learned about this group called Teen Mania that would take all these teenagers to like Oklahoma or Florida and teach you a musical play. And then you would go to whichever country and do a missions trip and share the gospel with people and try to convert them to Christianity, essentially. And so I did my first trip at 13 to El Salvador. They were like, if you can raise the money, you can do it. And I was like, all right. I started sending letters to relatives and friends and put on fundraising events and I think raised about two thousand dollars as a thirteen-year-old wow. to go and do that. So, 
So I wasn't afraid to travel alone, probably because I've been traveling internationally for a really long time. What was the name of this group again? Teen Mania. Was Teen Mania um, just Idaho kids? No, it was all over the country. So you got that diversity. Absolutely. I A bit, yeah. It still skewed more white, but I did have like some Latino kids on our trip. So I'm thinking about a couple of the different ones, but it's still skewed pretty white. I mean, Christianity, conservative Christianity in this country, a lot of the ones that were involved in these kinds of organizations skewed pretty white. What were you singing? <laughs> I mean, I was in the church band. I played piano in the church band. I sang alto. But and then on it... these little plays, they would teach you a whole, like, you would have this three-day, like, kickoff period where you would learn this whole play. I would show you pictures, but it's too freaking embarrassing. But was it church songs you were singing? Was it gospel no, it music? No, like it was like a musical. It was original, um, original music. Original, original play. Was original it kind of like Christian rock a little bit? Yeah, kind of more like cinematic though, I guess, because right. it was a play. It's like Broadway Christian. Yeah, maybe. I don't want to claim Broadway for it. <laughs> Feels like a stretch, but. Have you, have you seen The Righteous uh, Gemstones? Yes, yes. Was it yes. a little bit like, like they um, are his more, muscle boys? They are way more mega church action than we right. were. But um, so, no. I no. love that show. Yeah, it's hilarious. It is hilarious. It's funny. How did you end up in Hawaii? I have family who lives out there. What? Mm -hmm. My aunt lives out there. She's a jewelry designer. They live off grid, like just this gorgeous place that's like powered by the sun and watered by the rain. And is she amazing. Asian? No, she's not. How did she, how did she <laughs> get out aunt. there? <laughs> she moved there like over 30 years ago my mom's little sister she was um, like fuck all y'all yeah she started dating some guy who had a boat i think and rode cruised his boat from the bahamas to hawaii with him and then after that, that like just really stayed. far away yeah it is they sailed i should say sailed right. their boat from the bahamas to hawaii it's a big trip yeah i think you have to go down canal and shit? i think so yeah yeah so he kind of knew what he was doing oh yeah he was a legit sailor captain guy the type of person I'm already falling in love with. Yeah, she I can't blame your aunt. She moved to Hawaii with him and um, never, and, never and made jewelry. Out. She makes jewelry now. She's a high, really well-known, high-end jeweler and artisan there. So, at what age did you say, "Mom, I'm moving in with Auntie"? I didn't move in with them. First of all, they live in Hawaii and know that you have to have very clear boundaries if you have a house in Hawaii. So even family, you can't stay longer than two weeks. And I respect that. Because so, if you don't have boundaries. Oh, my God. Everyone's always coming and staying. And like they're, they live off grid in this tiny little place where all their water is from the rain and their <laughs> power is from the sun. So they literally don't have enough resources for all these people to come through all the time. So Would you call these people hippies? I would. I think they're the best kind of hippies in my mind, but absolutely. yes, absolutely. I would call them hippies. Yeah. They grow a bunch of their own food. Wow. It's, it's a gorgeous property. Yeah. They're blessed. We, I was, I mean, I think now the American dream has changed. What do in you a, think it in is In a now? way, living in a house that is paid for by renters is kind of the American <laughs> dream, but maybe having the Lord provide mm. in paradise. I mean, that's my dream. They definitely have inspired my long-term dreams. Like, having a, just a sustainable home and you know it's it's a conscious choice to live a simple life instead of pursuing 
money and wealth and more stuff. And they've chosen the exact opposite of that. And they're super intentional about it. And they filter every decision through that lens. And I think it's amazing and admirable. And if we all lived that way, we'd be in a better world. So. Which island? Maui, the best one. <laughs> Sorry, but it's the best. You Maui know, no kaoi. <laughs> What's it? I'm sorry. Maui no kaoi. What does that mean? Maui is the best, basically. <laughs> yeah. No kaoi is like the best. How old were you? When I moved there, I was 21. So 21. Yeah. So I went to college in Boise State. I uh, started at junior college. Um, Smart. Thought I was going to be pre-med. Sucked at chemistry. Changed my major to communication. You can see why I talk a lot. Um, went to Boise State. And while there, I've always been kind of idealistic and wanting to like help and make a difference. Like I think a lot of us and most of us are. Yes. Um, and so I thought maybe journalism, but then I had a journalist teacher who said I have too much opinion and I would not be a good journalist. So maybe he was wrong and an asshole, but I listened to him and ended up getting some internships in politics. And so I really went hard there. I was like interned for a lobbyist. Then I interned for a very famous Idaho Senator. Um, and I think that experience was a part of a big questioning and reckoning that I was going through, um, where I was forced to, <laughs> not forced, but I was writing a lot of letters to editors and writing, you know, statements, so many different things and not always agreeing with what I was writing. Uh, I'm a Libra, so I can make an argument for either side anytime. So I was very good at what I was doing, but I wasn't necessarily feeling like I agreed with what these guys' policies were. And they offered me a job in Washington, D.C. at the close of my internship to work for the senator. And I just remember being in a bath and thinking, like, I still don't know what I believe anymore. Like, I'm questioning everything my parents taught me and everything I kind of knew growing up. And I don't know what I do believe, but I'm pretty sure it's not that. That's not resonating with me anymore. He was a Republican senator. Yeah. Famous for doing a foot tap in an airport bathroom. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Larry Craig was his name, Senator Larry Craig. So I re hold on. A second. <laughs> I was going to gloss right past that. How dare you? <laughs> because not everybody remembers this. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, I guess not our younger listeners. An Idaho senator in a men's it room. It was national news. Tapping because of why, allegedly. So the allegations were that that's some kind of underground like booty call type of thing inside of a bathroom a gay booty call a gay booty call that like prostitutes know and i think this whole airport the reason he got caught male was, prostitutes know this yeah there was a sting operation happening at that airport because that was apparently something that they knew was happening in this in this airport bathroom this is my recollection of the story and so so the senator did it and because he knew that that was a thing, allegedly. Allegedly. I love this. Yes. So he got he got caught up in this sting operation and got arrested. And he, of course, claimed that that was not his intention and he didn't know. And he all can't this tap stuff. his foot in a bathroom but stall? he also resigned. So, oh. yeah. So there's that. And he was a super powerful senator at the right. time in the Republican Party. He was the chair of quite a few committees. So think of like... He wasn't quite Mitch McConnell level, but he was like up there with the top Republican leadership in the Senate at the time. You were 20 and 21 years old when mm -hmm, you worked for him? Mm -hmm. 20 when I worked for the lobbyist, 21 when I worked for them, yeah. Did he ever hit on you? Never, no. He was guilty. 
No, I only met him one time, and it was the same time I met Vice President, uh, who was the one that the the really bad one. <laughs> Why am I blanking? You, Bush's Vice President. Oh, Cheney. Yes, I met Cheney. Is he an Idaho guy? No, but he was coming through for. I feel like it was in some kind of like military hangar kind of thing, and it was a, an event for the senator. And I think he was kind of stumping for the senator or vice versa. So the two of them were like the speakers at this so you event. Met, you met Cheney? I did, yeah. What were his vibes like? I mean, it's so brief when you meet these people. Like, they're surrounded by their people. I, I didn't catch any vibes from him. Okay, so at 21, you go to this hippie house in, in Maui. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I Were go, you there my for family a vacation, for, Yeah, really? it was like a family reunion thing for my mom's side. And it was right after I had graduated. I'd put stuff in storage, quit my waitressing job, turned down this offer to go to Washington, D.C. Didn't know what the fuck I was going to do. Because you knew you're not a Republican. I knew that then, but I, I didn't know, know it yet. But right. I knew it. Um, and now I really know it, but that's a whole yeah. other podcast. Um, <laughs> and yeah, just was there on vacation. And I guess while I was there, I just started thinking like, well, straight out of college, you're just going to be entry level no matter where you are. Like, what does it really matter where you are for that entry level job? Like I could do entry level in paradise. So I kind of started throwing it out like jokingly with my family and then I hurt my ears scuba diving really badly. I almost burst my eardrums. I was very lucky. And my dad was like, you know, um, scuba diving accidents are one of the few things with airlines where you can get pretty easily your flight changed by calling them and telling them that you hurt your PS travel tip. Um, Great travel tip. Call the airline, tell them that you hurt your ears scuba diving and you're not allowed to fly for a week or however long the ear needs to heal. A week was acceptable for them. And what they ended up doing was like, well, we'll just make it open ended and you can call and book it once you're cleared with your doctor. They didn't even ask for the doctor's note, dude. Um, although I could have got it and I got lots of good drugs because um, that shit hurt. But um yeah, basically my dad was like, well, you know, if there was ever a time in your life that you were going to do something like that, this is it. So were you scuba in, in uh, Molokini? Did we scuba in Molokini? No, we didn't do that dive. We did that was something the only place the I ever dive. did. That was the only place I ever snorkeled. For snorkeling, that's pretty common. For scuba diving, they'll take you different places than that because you're going to go underwater right. farther. So we I did like this. So. It's gorgeous. It's amazing. I was shocked, though, because after it was over, uh -huh. our bread, because you, you feed little bits of bread <laughs> to the fish. It's probably so bad for them. Oh, is it really? Probably. Do they still do that? Well, this was, I'm an old man. This was a long okay, time ago. Okay, I don't ago. think they do that anymore. I was in my 20s. When <laughs> okay, I okay. But when it was done, we just threw, like, the whole rest of, like, the full slices. Yeah. And giant fish came up. Oh, nice. And I was like, we were swimming. They were there that whole time, right under Waiting. Because oh, yeah. they know when the boat shows up, mm -hmm. the babies get their food. And then we and get then ours. we get our food. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm never going to that damn ocean again. <laughs> so when you were scubaing, you actually saw the big ass fish, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. It didn't scare you? It doesn't scare me at all, no they are not trying to attack us when they see us and all our big loud bubbles coming out from our airs 
they know we're not one of them. They know that we're not their food. It's the opposite. So they're more likely to run from us or swim away. I did have a really crazy scuba dive incident in Catalina, though, um, getting my advanced scuba dive certification. And they did not tell me about these endangered giant black sea bass that live there. Did you know that there are giant fish that are endangered that live in Catalina Island and no. swim through the kelp forest underwater? It's the craziest thing. They're like the size of fucking like a Volkswagen bug. What? Yes. And they look like a bass, like a regular kind of fish that you sometimes eat and stuff. No, thank you. Oh, my God. So I had no idea these kind of fish are under there. I'm just with one other guy who's also a student to get his certification. And we're doing like, you know, things like you have to navigate and, and show that you know how to find things and underwater photography and like things for your certification. And all of a sudden I turn and coming out from behind this, you know, big kelp thing that looks like a tree <laughs> is one giant fish and then another one and then another one. And each of these fish is bigger than me. I have no idea what the fuck this fish is doing here or that this is a normal thing that happens. So I'm kind of clanging my tank because you can't talk to people. You're underwater. He looks, my, my little dive partner looks and I'm like, look, look, I'm signaling with my eyes. We were just shocked. And so we get out and all the other like newbie students were taking off their gear. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just saw the teachers like, can you take it down a notch? You're like scaring my students. But yeah, that was the scariest moment I ever had. It swam right toward me and then it, it just went right around me and kept going. But they were bigger than a car and I had no idea to expect them. So the shock factor definitely scared me. So these fish feel probably... free to edit that part out, but no, I just, that story was great like, part. oh my god, it's my favorite. So these fish probably know they're endangered, and they know that Catalina is safe, and so that's why they just chill there, right? I mean, I'm not a marine biologist, but my guess would be that that sea kelp forest maybe is a source of food for them. Right, you are a marine biologist now. <laughs> okay, let's let's. You seem like a brave person. Well, thank you. You're traveling alone. At, well, not alone, but at 13. You're traveling internationally at 13. Mm -hmm. You are just doing all these things kind of either alone. Even now you're doing stuff alone. I'm a lonely person. You, you <laughs> bought this house by yourself. I did, yeah. No big strong man did this. No, definitely you not. You did this. Yep. Would you... I had help from the federal government. I got an FHA loan for anyone who's out there who has not purchased a home yet and wants to. I strongly recommend learning about FHA loans. So I only had to put 3.5% down, which is a lot more attainable. And in 2012, it was definitely a lot more attainable <laughs> because this house was much different price then than it would be now. Let's talk about Atwater then. Okay. I you, love Atwater. You have a relationship with a jewelry store. Yes. I'm a business partner and investor in a jewelry store that's right here on Glendale Boulevard. The cutest. It's May May Jewelry. Uh, any of your aunt's jewelry works end up over here? No. Her stuff's super fancy. It's like art gallery, Four Seasons. The aunt? Yes. Yes. Really? Our stuff is more like, I think of our store as kind of like a new age hallmark. But instead of greeting cards, although we do sell those, it's it's affirmation jewelry and like jewelry that has all of these messages. So, yeah. Give me an example of one, a message that might be on. So I have, for example, she's looking at her. At her she's wrist. got she's got two gold bands. One is thicker than the other. Yeah, that one's not one of them. But this these two, one of them's called float, 
um, and it's an aquamarine stone. Um, float, and I think the message on the card is something like, you don't have to try so hard. You are supported by the universe or something like that. But it's the messaging behind it was really related to how so often in life you feel like you have to really put in all this effort and and push and try for things. And it kind of reminds me of how we are sometimes in the water when in reality, especially in salt water, <laughs> you could just float. If you just breathe and relax, you actually can just float and you are supported. You don't need to be, you know, flailing about. Um, Who so writes these affirmations? My business partner and I do most of them together. So um, you write some of these? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a collaborative process. Um, now we've expanded our team. We've brought some really awesome, wonderful, amazing women into our team. And so we have people who help with that as well. And in the past, we've had other employees that help with design and and messaging. But yeah, I think the ones that kind of come from my business partner and I tend to to resonate um, because we're usually tapping into what we feel a lot of us are dealing with at the time um, and kind of, I don't know, trying to address an emotional or spiritual need that we're hearing from a lot of our friends. You have a place here. I feel so comfortable. Oh, good. I feel so warm. Good. Like literally warm um, in a good way. Okay. <laughs> The, your, your, the aromas in here are great. This is, I feel like I'm in a witch's trap. <laughs> you could ask me to do anything right now. Oh, and I would say, yeah. No, hmm, let me think about what. Whatever you got going mean. on in here <laughs> is phenomenal. Thank you. Whatever. Keep it up. Thank you. You have a, a mixture of brand. I imagine this couch is brand new. This is quite old now, yeah, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it looks brand new. Thank you. This Thanks looks vintage cup. over here. It is. This looks kind of, your, your chaise looks kind of brand new. It's also vintage. I bought that is at- Is it really? I bought that at the St. Vincent's in Lincoln Heights, which by the way is the best St. Vincent's in LA for used furniture. Um, and it used to be salmon pink um, and was quite worn as you can tell because I used the did same you redo cushion, the whole thing I reupholstered it yeah Amazing. and I did the same with this one it used incredible to be taste yellow totally incredible taste thanks I've done a lot of changes with COVID and there's more stuff I want to just like get rid of but P.S. there's some things that even if you offer them for free on offer up no one wants them and you really need to use 311 and just throw that shit on the sidewalk call 311 and let them pick it up and do what they do 311 also has a an app I love it I love the app. 311 is the best service in the city, and I wish everyone knew about it and really used it. Which I think is LA 311 on the Apple Store. Okay. And I'll check that you, out. You, you put the stuff outside. Probably way easier than calling Like your the Christmas number. tree, for example. Mm -hmm. or, or just some old furniture that you're not Whatever. using. Whatever. You stick it out there, you take a picture, uh, you put it knows your address, kind of, okay. but you verify the address. Uh -huh. Done. Done. And the next trash day coming up, usually, unless you do it like a day or two before. It'll get picked up. Right. Yeah, I love it. And you can report graffiti there too, I think. Oh, look at you. I haven't used the app though, but on 311 you can if you need okay, to. So okay, so May May? May May Jewelry, yep. Did you have a location by my house in Little Armenia? No, Was this is the only retail store location that we've ever had, although we probably will have more in the near future. Um, 
but my business partner prior to me joining the company, she used to go to a lot of festivals like the 626 night market and, yes. and all those kinds of things. And she would set up shop there and, and sell and, and, and hustle, frankly, for she, she worked real hard building this business to what it was before I, before I joined. And then I really just kind of helped streamline it, um, rebrand it, trademark it and build the online side. So we opened up an Amazon store. We've been growing our online business and Amazon store. Yeah. Yeah. That's oh my the God. Move. Not Etsy. We were on Etsy too. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. But Amazon, I imagine, drives a lot of traffic. Oh right? my God. Amazon is a whole other business. Right. Um, and I sometimes still wonder if it's worth all of the effort, <laughs> but it is. Ultimately, it is worth it financially as long as you can approach doing it in a way that doesn't like distract from the part of the business that you like. Yeah. Or if you make it your main business, which it totally can be. I mean, May May is on uh, on. You said Glendale Boulevard. Yep. What's the address? Let's give you a plug. Thirty one twenty five Glendale Boulevard. Is it near a Bon Vivant? It is near Bon Vivant. It's Bon um, Vivant. Yeah, it's toward the freeway or the river from Bon Vivant on the same side of the street. So the west side of the street. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> The typical woman thing, like we use landmarks and you guys are like directional. Well, but yes, it's but but it's, it's tricky west. around here. It can be because there's a lot of twists and turns. Like, where around is here. the west around here? Yeah, I think you're right. That is the west. Yeah. Because if you go off the five north. And Glendale is, 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 is you know, it's like a snake. It's confusing. So, what the hell? Yeah. Either way, yes. And it's next to the boba place. <laughs> and the boba spot. So it's a good part of the it's location, location, location. It's a, good it's a part great of town. location. Absolutely. This neighborhood is just so awesome. Honestly, I'm so grateful that we have a store in it and we get to be a part of the community in that way. It's, it's awesome. You're on the neighborhood council. I'm a stakeholder, community stakeholder. So I wasn't elected. I volunteer for a specific committee, probably the most boring one, which is the, in the ELU, the environmental land use committee. That seems very important. It, you would think. I Sometimes I don't know what we do. Does this incorporate the river? In some ways, yes. Although I think they have another committee that's really specific to the river. They have like Good. all of these different committees. And I'm frankly not familiar with all of them. I don't always attend the larger neighborhood council meetings. I try to always attend the ELU ones, though, so that they can achieve quorum and actually accomplish business every month. Um, I've learned a lot <laughs> about sure. our city's governmental functions from that volunteer process. I can't say that I've been a contribution in any way whatsoever to my community through my role there. However, I have learned. I feel like everybody should at least attend a few neighborhood council meetings because I too learned a lot. Mm. One of the things I learned at mine in East Hollywood was how they give liquor licenses to certain places and who they don't mm -hmm. and how they judge people. Mm -hmm. So for example, one, like a Chevron was selling single beer cans mm. and this liquor store wanted to do that also. Mm -hmm. And they said, no, we don't, we don't want too many of that because mm -hmm. that's where trouble starts. And they're starts. already doing it. So you can't. And so he was like, well, so why is it fair that Chevron, this giant company can do it and I can't? Right. And they're like, it isn't fair. Yeah. But Get it's also it. not something we can change but, retroactively. But, but that honest back and forth, mm -hmm. 
I don't think happens at City Hall yeah. with cameras, but I think they do happen at neighborhood councils. People can be real with each other. Did yeah. you see that at your neighborhood council? I mean, it's definitely a little bit raw and real, and I think I don't judge that at all. These are just community members volunteering. We don't all know all of the rules, and there's elections and a changing out of the people every couple of years, too, so it's not like they're all experts on how to do this. Right. Um, so I've witnessed some things where I'm like, oh, my God, this does not seem buttoned up on both the parts of the neighborhood <laughs> council and on the parts of the mayor's office and the duties and obligations that that they have to support the neighborhood councils and ensure that we're able to stay in compliance with the laws. Um, it's a really weird structure how LA is set up. We're such a big city. Yeah. Having as many council districts as we have is already kind of insane. And then the fact that they have all of these neighborhood councils that are kind of like subdivisions of the districts and yet they don't actually all roll up to districts in a way that makes any sense whatsoever. The yep. neighborhood councils have their own kind of districting map that doesn't really overlap with the districts. It's the weirdest thing. I, yeah. LA politics is bizarre. It's awful. It's so awful. And I'm sorry, but anyway, I'm, we're not going to get too deep in the politics. Good. Yeah. Tell me something about Atwater Village that you didn't know until you moved here. Hmm. That maybe people don't notice when they just drive by on their way to the Americana. Well, the fact that it is a village is actually a special type of designation that an area in a neighborhood would have to lobby to receive. And Atwater Village received that designation in 1948. Look at you. Yes. Um, it, the, I don't know all the details of it, but I know it's something along the lines of like within a three square mile radius or space, you have to be able to offer a minimum of certain types of services. So having like a library, the proper kinds of schools, barbershop, grocery store, I don't remember what all of them are, probably gas station, et cetera, et cetera. And you have to kind of like be able to meet those requirements to lobby the city to be called a village. And we have Larchmont Village. I don't know what right. some of the other ones are, right. but there's only so many villages in the city and Atwater is an official one. It's not just like a nice, cute name. Like we're actually a village Why that do I has all of these services. Because I think in this modern life, the same reason I said at the top of the podcast, part of why I wanted to live in this neighborhood is so I don't have to get in a car to go everywhere and get everything done. Within a village, what I love about this area is being a small town girl from Idaho, living in a very big city that's kind of like a conglomerate of a bunch of cities mushed together. Yeah. Being in a village or a community like Atwater, I get the feeling of a small town but all of the amenities of the city. So I think that's why you want to live in a village. I walk up my street. I know the business owners on the street. Um, yeah. I say hi to people. I know my neighbors. A lot of us have dogs. That might be another little known fact. I'm not sure, but I feel like everyone here has dogs. Mm. So since getting a dog during COVID, you know, I don't know all my neighbors' names, but I know a lot of their dogs' names. <laughs> like you'll stop and be like, oh, what's their name? And you introduce your dogs. Well, and then and Gigi's so adorable. She's a cutie. Mm -hmm. That everybody's got to come up to you, right? 
Gigi attracts a lot of attention. She's a cutie patootie. She's also quite ferocious, as you've witnessed throughout this podcast. I've seen worse. Skateboarders are her absolute nemesis. If she ever gets the chance to. Is she a puppy? She's two. So this is as big as she's going to get. As big as she's going to get. This is a miniature. She's a mini pincher. Mini pincher. Mm -hmm. Adorable. Adorable. Related to chihuahuas at all? No. They are related to greyhounds. Gigi is. Mm -hmm. Italian greyhounds. Wow. And then cousins to. She knows when we're talking about her. Mm -hmm. I love that. (laughs) I think Atwater has some of the greatest bars in LA. What are your favorites here? Well, Bigfoot. Okay. Mm -hmm. Legendary. Are they still open post-COVID? Did they make it? That's a great question. Okay. I'm not sure the answer to that. I haven't been in any bars in a long time. Okay. But I would hope so. I hope so too. They're well funded. The Roost. The Roost is great. The Tam. AKA Tam O'Shanters. Tam O'Shanters. We have a couple new bars now. Um, This new spot just opened up El Sagrado, the Mezcaleria. Um, If you're into Mezcal and super bright cross light in the backdrop. But they have some good cocktails and some really good food. Cross light? It's like a cross that's a light. Oh, like a Jesus cross. Yeah, because Sagrado is like sacred. So they kind of try to mix. You're so good with your Spanish. Oh, gracias. Um, did you study Spanish up there in Idaho? No, I went to El Salvador when I was 13. I went and to that's Mexico. what did it? It stuck I just with you. traveled a lot in Spanish and then have friends who are Spanish speakers. And now I live in L.A. And yeah. Good for you. Thanks. Yeah. I think if you live in L.A., you should you should put some effort and learn some Spanish. I agree. We're a multicultural city. Um, let's wrap it up with. Glendale or Burbank? When you want to leave Atwater, or do you go to Silver Lake in Hollywood? It depends on what I'm going for. Um, Silver Lake or Los Feliz, probably more likely for restaurants, bars, social outings. Um, Glendale for services um, or specialty retail stores. Yeah. Like? And Burbank, I almost never go to unless for Ikea. Oh, really? Or the airport. Burbank Airport is clutch. I love the Burbank Airport. I will always love the Burbank Airport. Isn't it shocking how few people use it? I just hope it stays that way. I love going to Burbank Airport. (laughs) It's like the old school vibes you used to get going to the airport where it was like fun and there's a little buzz and it's kind of, it feels retro, you know? It does feel retro. And if you have TSA pre-check, you can get through Burbank Airport in like, I have done it in under five minutes. That's just not even possible in LAX just because of all the walking and the distance you have to cover. Right. Oh, LAX, it stresses me out. I'm so glad you mentioned that. That's not even on my radar, but I imagine in Atwater Village, of course. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, yes, if I can ever fly out of Burbank, if you think about the cost to either park or Lyft or Uber or whatever to LAX, it sometimes adds one to 200 bucks to your travel costs. Round trip. Yeah. Yeah. And all the drama, which now you have to take a shuttle when you get back and with a hundred people packed in this tiny shuttle to a weird parking lot and continue to wait. Oh my God. So even when you fly internationally, Burbank will fly you to like San Francisco or Vegas and then- I haven't done that yet. I see. We'll see. I hate non, I like nonstop. So for international, I'll probably do LAX. Right. But anything in state, if I can, um, or like in the States, if I can fly out of Burbank, I try. 
All right, everybody. Buy your sweetie some jewelry at Maymay. <laughs> right? Yep. Or your friends. We have a custom stone bracelet bar there. You can come build your own if you're into the crystal energy stuff. Are you into that stuff? I am. I, I love it. crystals around here. I have a big pile oh, along there. there. I have some in that window. I have some in that window. You've got plants. You, yeah, they're you all know spread what out. you're doing. Mm -hmm. You do. I, I'm into it. Um, I like started reading about feng shui and kind of like did a little map of my house to learn which section was which kind of area for feng shui. And then I did move things around in my house to kind of align with that. And there that might be part of why you feel the flow. Yeah, there is a flow. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. And I'm in the middle of it. Yeah. So I even sometimes think about that with the crystals that I put in certain areas like, um, Sometimes I'll put crystals to activate a certain kind of energy in a certain quadrant or to calm it. <laughs> Super hippy dippy. It is working. And right. I am not an expert. I just play in it, but it's fun. Thank, well, thank you. you so much, Heidi. Yeah, thank you. We will see you at uh, Hollywood Bob Hope Airport. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> Wouldn't that be retro? <laughs> thank you. All right, bye. How great was Heidi? You know who we want to lay out on the sands of Maui and not step one foot into that crazy ocean? Our Patreons. When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony, Jordan, here's a box of Dunkin' Munchkins. Here's a newspaper subscription to your local paper. Here's a set of mic stands so your show can sound way better. Every donation you hand over helps keep this insane project a rolling. So shout out to our Patreons, Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Granke, Ben Welsh, Henry Furman, Jen Adams, The Lonely Chair, Trevor Wilson, and Bree Wild. Want to hear your name at the end of next week's show? Go to patreon.com slash here in LA and give till it hurts. Also, shout out to our Angelinos. To be an Angelino, all you have to do is PayPal us 25 bucks or more, and we will list you on the Here in LA website that Mark Johnson is building forever. You'll also be given a number to denote how early you got in to make this dream come alive. For example, Angelino number one, Allie Miller. Number two, George Wright. Number three, Rita Joanne. Number four, Jason Sutter. Five, Grant Houghton. Six, Rob Baker. Seven, Kev Chang. And eight is Brenda Garcia. Just PayPal your hard-earned cash to busblog at gmail.com and expect miracles. Want to support us, but your money is tied up in building that new ADR in your backyard? Got it. You can still help. Post your favorite episode on your Facebook. Oh my God, post two. Tweet something nice about us. Tell your friends. Tell them how Here in LA is spelled, and it's on Apple Podcasts and Google and even Spotify. Here in LA is produced by myself, Tony Pierce, and a man who gets enlightened just by playing his trombone, Jordan Katz. Editing, mixing, and music supervision by Jordan Katz. Songs by Orgone and Jordan Katz. Special thanks to Cindy for creating the logo, Jen for inspiring this, and Metro Mix for first introducing me to Heidi. Maui, Maui no, no kai, 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 kai.